Well, welcome Ward Church. My name is Jenny Miller, and I'm the Director of Small Groups and Young Adults here at Ward. And it is a pleasure to be with you all this morning. Last week, John Hayden kicked off our new series, On Location, with a look at Christ's mission and what we can do to be a part of Christ's mission. For the next five weeks, we will be looking at what it looks like to be on location or a part of Christ's mission in our various places. Today, we're gonna to be talking about what does it mean to be on location in our neighborhood. For those that don't know, I'm actually only four months away from getting married and looking forward to it. Um, and my fiance's last name actually happens to be neighbor. So I figure if that doesn't make me an expert for today, uh, well then I don't know what does. But anyways, enough with that. Would you all pray with me before we dive in? Heavenly Father, we come to you today awaiting what you have to say to us, awaiting the ways that you can move in our hearts. Help us to see our neighbors. Help us to hear your word. Or would you speak through me so that none of the words are my own? And any words that are from you, may they stay, and the ones that are not from you, may they go away. Lord, we pray for today, and we thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship you and to hear what you have to say for us and what it means to be on location with our neighbors. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Well, when I was in college, I was a part of a campus ministry that Chris and Elizabeth McKinney were leading. And at the time, Chris and Elizabeth were moving into a new home in a developing neighborhood. They were also raising four girls under five, Chris and Elizabeth were commuting back and forth to seminary, and the two of them were leading this campus ministry together. As they would put it, their family was in constant survival mode. Maybe some of you can relate. I don't have children myself, but working full time and planning a wedding is a chaos of its own. And I think whether we are raising children we're in school, we're working, or we're retired, doesn't it always feel like there's some source of chaos in our lives? Each day, Chris and Elizabeth would come home and they felt like they could only navigate their chaos. The last thing that they expected for themselves was to start a ministry in their neighborhood. They were new, they were tired parents, and they just wanted to hide away. But slowly, they started to feel a tug on their heart. They felt like God was nudging them to start seeing their neighborhood differently. They started to think about what would it be like if we started to reach out to those around us? Maybe we would make some friends or we'd have a support system nearby. And maybe God would start to use us to transform the lives of our neighbors. Eventually they knew they needed community within their community. And so Chris and Elizabeth hosted a fish fry. And from there, they held an Easter egg hunt. That year, only six or seven kids participated in the Easter egg hunt. And if you remember, they have four kids themselves. So six, seven kids, and four of them are their own. Not a great turnout. Chris and Elizabeth could have given up then, but they didn't because that is where they met Kathy, their neighbor and now friend who said, let me know if you wanna keep doing more of this stuff. I'd be happy to help. 
With the help of Kathy, they continued to hold their Easter egg hunt along with many other neighboring events, things like block parties, first day of school events, and so much more. And their story continues until this year when they hosted their annual Easter egg hunt in the elementary school in order to accommodate for everyone coming. Did you catch that? They hosted their annual Easter egg hunt in the elementary school to accommodate everyone coming. They went from six to seven kids to the elementary school. See, in taking a chance on their neighbors, Chris and Elizabeth saw their home that was once just a place to escape turn into one that offered them grace and community and a whole lot of fun, but not to mention the transformation that they were beginning to see in the lives of their neighbors. In a world of increasing division and isolation, stories like Chris and Elizabeth's, they feel rare, but they don't have to be. See, God didn't place us here just to hide away each day, closing the garage door as we come home before we even get out of our cars or checking our phones on the way to the mailbox. No, instead, God has a much bigger vision for our neighborhoods. And so today we are going to talk about what it looks like to be on location in our neighborhood and looking at three things. One, that we're placed on purpose. Two, that we're placed for a purpose. And finally, three, that we are to live according to that purpose. Let's first look at the first point that we are placed on purpose. Many of you are probably familiar with the Apostle Paul and the work that he did as he traveled from city to city, planting churches and sharing about the gospel. And one of the cities he comes upon is Athens, Greece. And as he arrives, he starts to look through the cities and the marketplaces, studying the way that these people live. And as he begins to take in what he's seeing, he starts to preach about Jesus in the synagogues. And now Athenians, they love to talk about different ideas and ways of believing. And so as word spreads about for what Paul is teaching, he's called before the court to give an explanation for what it is that he's saying. And Acts 17 gives us his speech today. He opens it. He says, men of Athens, I perceive you are very religious. And then he continues, he draws this connection between their temple to an unknown God, to the temple, not to the temple, but to the God that we know, our creator and savior. And then he gets to Acts 17, 26 through 28, which is our scripture reading for today. He says, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Let's look again at that first line. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. What Paul is saying here is that each one of us, you and me and our neighbors, are placed on purpose by God. In other words, our addresses are no mistake. Consider that truth. Think about what drew you to the home you're in today. 
Was there something specific about your street, your city, your neighborhood? What placed you where you are today? And if you know your neighbor, what's their story? So even if we don't daily think about it, God is the one who directed us to the exact home, the exact street that we're on today, just as he directs everything about our lives. See, our homes are more than just a place for us to hide away. Our addresses are no mistake. What this means then is even our neighbors were given to us on purpose, and likewise, us to them. When it comes to neighboring, we first need to reshape the way that we think about our role in our neighborhood. It wasn't an accident that we ended up where we are today, but rather a purposeful placement by the one who directs and creates all of creation. So what happens then when we start to see that we are placed on purpose? We can start to see our neighborhoods as a place to be on location, on mission. It's a place to be intentional with how we engage and live on our streets. Our home is no longer a place to just hide away in. And so how often, let's be honest, how often do we get home from work and we rush inside to avoid that neighbor taking out the trash? Or if you have a neighbor that likes to sit on their front porch, do you look for them, wave at them, or do you just turn your head the other way in hopes that you don't see them? I myself, um, I, have, I live in an apartment complex, which means I have a ton of neighbors. And even this, this last week, a neighbor of mine, he came up from downstairs and he knocked on my door. And I'll be honest with you guys, I have a ton of neighbors and I don't really know any of them. But he knocked on my door because a package of his had been delivered to the wrong door and he wanted to make sure that he didn't look like he was stealing. He didn't need to do this, his name was on the box, I didn't even see that it was there, but he wanted to be nice. And so what did I do? I thanked him, he took his box, I shut the door. I don't ask these questions of us or share these stories to produce shame or guilt in any of us, but instead to just shed an accurate light on the culture of our neighborhoods today. The, good new, the new good neighbor is someone who is quiet, someone who cuts their grass on time. And the best neighbor, they're the ones you never see, right? That's how we think about our neighborhoods today. But being placed on purpose means that our neighborhoods are much more than that, and they have to be more than that. Our neighborhoods are a place to see Christ at work, a place for God's kingdom to be at work. We aren't just placed on purpose, were placed for a purpose. The first neighborhood detailed in scripture comes in Genesis 1 and 2. You might be familiar with this scene. It's one of abundance and beauty and unity as God dwells with Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve, they cultivate and they multiply. But that's where this ideal neighborhood ends. As in Genesis 3, sin enters the world and it begins to cover this neighborhood. You can think about it in a way as if graffiti begins to cover this pristine land. But the graffiti doesn't just cover the land, it begins to cover our hearts. 
See, this neighborhood is desperate to be clean, to be made new, to feel restored and whole again, but instead, murder and lying and division is what continues to define it. But a new neighborhood is being written on the hearts of the neighbors. See, Jesus enters the world, and for the first time, he begins to offer forgiveness, redemption, and reconciliation. For the first time since Genesis 3, we begin to taste what the old neighborhood was like. Through Jesus, and only through him, we, through his death and resurrection, we begin to see our neighborhoods redeemed. And for those that know him and follow him, we can begin to see unity and grace flow through this neighborhood again. And then we get to the last neighborhood, the one that we wait for, the one where Jesus returns and once for all renews and restores all things. So this is our purpose then, to participate in the work and mission of Christ in our neighborhood. I'll say that again. This is our purpose, to participate in the work and the mission of Christ in our neighborhood. You and I have an opportunity to start seeing our neighborhood as more. We can start viewing it as a place for Jesus's redemption. We can start viewing it as a neighborhood that is caught up in the larger story of Christ's work. And then it is then our privilege and our purpose to participate in the work and mission of Christ in our neighborhood. And don't get me wrong, I know that we all need our homes to be a place of rest, refuge, and renewal. But what if we start to expand our belief that neighborhoods are first and foremost a place for escape? What if we start to see our homes as a place to engage? What if we start to see our homes as a place for Jesus's redemption? And what if our neighbors, our God, does not just want to heal ourselves, but he also wants to heal our neighbors? And what if our neighbors can become a source of joy and grace in our lives and they begin to heal us? See, these kinds of questions, this kind of thinking recognizes that each one of us is placed on purpose for a purpose. And it says, I want to see what you'll do in my neighborhood. Now, some of you might be thrilled at hearing this topic. You're ready to jump up and engage with your neighbors. Others of you have been feeling something stir in your heart like Chris and Elizabeth, but you just don't know where to start. And for some of you, you might be thinking, this is the last thing that I have time for. Or you're like me, and you're thinking, I've missed too many chances to start again. But wherever you are in your neighboring journey, there are two things that we can all start doing today. We can begin with prayer, and we can listen to understand. Years ago, we introduced a neighboring structure here at Ward called BLESS. Some of you may remember it. BLESS is an acronym for a five-step neighboring process, and the letters stand for begin with prayer, listen, eat together, serve, and share your story. BLESS isn't one size fits all for neighboring, but it gives you and I a structure for where we can begin. 
And Pastor Sean will be talking next week about these last three letters and what they mean and how we can be actively engaging in our neighborhood. But today we're gonna focus on the first two, beginning with prayer and listening. You've probably heard the verses that we're about to read, whether it was here on Sunday or on some Hobby Lobby sign, but I wonder how often do we do this with our neighbors? Colossians 4.2 reads, devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful. Romans 12.12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Mark 11.24 reads, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And finally, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 reads, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So when was the last time that you took time to pray for the people beside you, in front of you, and behind you? We see throughout these verses that prayer is important, and this is just a few of the many, many verses we can find in Scripture. We begin with prayer because prayer sets the foundation for everything. Just the other week, I was talking to a couple as they were preparing to go on vacation, and as part of their preparation process, they'd actually begun to pray that God would help them see those around them and that they might have an opportunity to connect with them. They had prayed this for a lot of their vacations and actually found that the Lord answered their prayers. See, a simple help me see, and I know that we are placed on purpose, a help me see prayer was setting the foundation for their vacation. But this prayer doesn't have to be limited to our vacations, it's also for our neighborhoods. Without first beginning in prayer, we run the chance of putting our own motivations or um, objectives onto our neighbors, rather than first asking what God has planned for their lives. And so this first step is crucial in aligning our hearts with God's vision and plan for our neighbors and then being able to trust him with the process. And so I challenge you today to begin with prayer. Use your drive home to pray for your neighbor. If you know of their situation, then pray for them. And if you don't yet know them, pray that you would have the courage to introduce yourself and the opportunities to do so. Begin praying, help me see. Ask God to help you see his plans and visions for your neighbors. And then from there, we can begin to listen. Often that vision that you and I have been talking about comes about as we start to listen to those around us. The act of listening is powerful. Someone once said that the act of being heard and the act of being loved are so similar that to the average person, they're indistinguishable. And I don't know about you, but I believe that statement. When someone takes the time to really slow down, to make sure I feel heard, I feel loved. And so you wanna know how to start loving your neighbors well? Begin with prayer and then listen. Listen to understand their story and listen to understand their place in the world. Listen before you begin to speak and listen before you give what you think they need. 
John pointed out to us last week that those who are religious are officially in the minority in America, which means that our neighborhoods are looking drastically different than they ever did before. It also means that listening to understand is more important than ever before. Tim Keller puts it this way, people simply do not have the necessary background knowledge to hear a gospel address and immediately understand who God is, what sin is, who Jesus is, and what repentance and faith are in a way that enables them to make an intelligent commitment. People today have too many objections and obstacles to be able to readily accept the gospel or even see it as plausible. Keller argues that people in the West now need to be welcomed into a community long enough that they can see multiple expressions of the gospel, both formal and informal by individuals and teachers. In taking the chance to reach out to our neighbors, we get to be just one of those gospel presentations. And maybe if we're lucky, we can be even more. Listening to understand is important. And it's important that each one of us knows the difference between listening to respond and listening to understand. We have to know the difference between listening to respond and listening to understand. We are here not to be the saviors of our neighborhood. That is Jesus's job. But instead, we are here by the grace of God to get to partake in the kingdom work that he is doing in our very neighborhoods. And so we take the time to get to know our neighbors by hearing what they first want to say. For some of you, this is gonna be really easy. And for others of us, we're just gonna have to practice. But it's important that we first begin to listen. Because neighboring isn't about making your neighbors into the people that you want them to be. Neighboring is not about finding a cool story for your small group. But instead, neighboring is about starting to see your home, your neighborhood, as a place that is caught up in the larger story of God's redemptive work. Chris and Elizabeth took a chance on their neighborhood by starting to ask, what if? What if our home can become a place for God's redemption? Maybe for some of you, if you take the chance, your homes and your neighbors can become a place of grace and joy in your lives, not just one to escape from the world. Let's think about it, church. What would it look like if you and I started really living today as if each one of us was placed on purpose for a purpose? Wouldn't we want to begin with prayer? Wouldn't we want to listen to really understand and know our neighbors? You and I have an opportunity to make a huge impact in our world, but not until we start to see our neighborhoods as a place for God to be at work, as a place for us to be on mission. Each one of us, no matter our age or our location, are placed on purpose for a purpose. And so the question is, will we begin to live according to that purpose? 
will we begin to participate in the work and the mission of Christ in our neighborhood? Just think of the impact that we could make if we started doing that today. Will you commit to that this week with me? Will you commit to praying for your neighbors and if given the opportunity to start listening to understand? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the places and the ways that you have placed us on purpose. We thank you for the purpose that we're given through the work and the life and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would begin to help us see. Help us see the places that you are working and moving. Help us see our homes as a place for your redemption and redemptive story to be at work. Give us the wisdom to take steps forward and most of all, help us see. We thank you for your son. We thank you for this day. And we pray all of this in the power of the um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.